0: the Lord had been speaking to me about suffering. And we were reading uh, First Peter in the Monday evening Bible study, and, and there's scriptures in chapter 4 that talked about this suffering that that should be part of our lives. And people are like, well, you know, that doesn't sound like very fun to suffer. But last week's message was that th- that there's absolutely, well, there's many types of suffering. There's there's persecution suffering, right? There's there's a persecution that comes in the name of Jesus. But there's suffering actually our flesh. And that dovetails into the holiness conversation that we've been having for quite a while here. And so last week was talking about this suffering that's associated with the denial of our flesh. Uh, I, I want to just read you two scriptures to, to capture that. And then... This week, I, I actually prayed, Lord, could I just have, like, something nice to say? You know, could I this Sunday just say something that someone would want to just say, yeah, that part of Christianity I really like? And he gave me the word comfort. So today, what I'm uh, hoping to do is to show us all, including myself, because I've been literally contending for this comfort this week. It's not been an easy week in, in our house Um, not just because of things in our house. There's been some external things, too, where I've been really testing the veracity of that truth because I'm like, Lord, I I need to be like, uh, you know, one of your little ones, the whites, where you just get them right up in here, and they don't have to be concerned about anything because they can just hear your heartbeat, and they can feel the warmth of those arms. And that's what I've needed from the Lord. So I've been literally as, as late as yesterday, I said, Lord, how can I preach a message about comfort that I can't experience, that I'm struggling to experience myself? And I've had, a, I've had some breakthrough, but the fact that I can't find it sometimes doesn't mean God's word isn't true, right? right. Okay. All right, so let me just give you a couple scriptures from last week, and then we'll um, move into this week. Philippians 1, through 30. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So contextually, if you look at Jesus's life, he was sent as a payment for the sin of all of mankind. And, and I think I'll touch it a little bit in the Hebrew scriptures towards the end, but he had to come in the flesh and he had to um he had to suffer testing and the temptation of all of mankind. So I don't know how many years it was from Adam till Jesus, but every sin that had ever been committed as a result of every temptation that had ever come across a man's way, a you know, person's way, Jesus had to be tested there. Every person in every minute of every day he was in his ministry had stumbling blocks and he had to be tested in those. And then every person that would ever sin until the end of time Jesus had to be tested. So when we think about his suffering, we think about his passion. It starts in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, you know, and they take him, and they bind him up, and they punch him and slap him, and they pull out his beard, and, and they flog him with the cat of nine tails and rip the meat off his back, and ultimately they, they nail him to a cross. They, um, he dies. We think of that as his suffering, but he suffered every day. With what we would call like things like our flesh, and never once succumbed and when when it says for uh, for to you to you all you use and me, it has been granted for christ 's sake for the sake of Christ not only to believe but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me that suffering is our flesh it's our it's our old man who wants to have his way, and we say, no, 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 that's the suffering. When when we want to do something, everybody else is doing it. We would really enjoy doing it, but we can't. That's the suffering that we're addressing in this. Okay, then Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul gives a picture of himself and, and what that looks like to somebody who really had mastered it. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead so so if you wonder what it looks like that's what it looks like if you get it all the way figured out at least as best as i can as best i can find in the scriptures that's what it looks like someone who considers everything as lost It's all rubbish. It means nothing. I own nothing that I might participate not only in his resurrection, but in his suffering that I may actually attain the resurrection from the dead. It's a part of being Christian. So Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He says, you're not worthy to be my disciples unless you would take this this um, I want to say yoke, but that's not the word that I want. You would take this cross upon yourself and carry it every single day and, and reflect me in your life you, you, unless you make that decision. He says count the cost before you even respond to the gospel. You can't be his disciples. You're literally not worthy of him. And, and the one scripture says that we should, right? I read it this morning, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, so we are commanded to be disciples, and, and being a disciple means that we have to deny ourselves. We have to repent from all those things that are ungodly, not Christ-like, and that is very difficult because when we get born again, we still have this, this flesh thing. Um, my friend that disciples me on Wednesday mornings calls it our Ishmael. If you're familiar with Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, he's like, that's our Ishmael. It just never goes away until we're glorified and we, we ultimately go to heaven. That's our Ishmael. And the beautiful thing about that, and, and you know, for church on the street regulars, you've, you've heard this before, but um, the Lord showed me why the one tree, remember in the Garden of Eden there was one tree, the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, listen, this whole garden is for you guys. You can have whatever you want. I created it for you, but you don't eat from that tree in the middle because the time that you eat from the tree in the middle, you will surely die. And the reason that tree is in the middle of the garden is because God's nature is love. And love comes from God, and and he created us in his image. So the only way to have real relationship with him or with anybody else has to be a love-based relationship, but love demands choice. If there's no choice to not love God, then we're robots. We have to have choice. So the tree in the garden was uh, Adam and Eve's opportunity to say, I love you, God. Every time they walked by and they noticed how, how luscious the fruit was, it looks like it would be so tasty, but he told me not to eat it. The way that you love God is through obedience, and they didn't eat it. They were saying, I love you, God. So um, one day I'm praying, and I said, Lord, I don't understand. When, when I got born again, why did you leave me with this flesh? If I didn't have this flesh... I would be a better husband, I would be a better father, I would be a better Christian, I would be a much more awesome reflection of Jesus to the world, but you, you kept this, this decaying, nasty flesh that keeps wanting me to do what you don't want. Read Romans chapter 7 if you want a picture of that. Anyway, I asked him, I'm like, Lord, why? Why didn't you just, just kill that thing dead? And I heard as clear as I've ever heard the Lord, he said to me, that's your tree in the garden. That's how you can express love to me because if I didn't take away, if I took away every temptation that might cause you to stumble, then you have no opportunity to make a choice for me versus for yourself or for the world. So the, the flesh that we drag around that Paul is talking about, I consider it all lost. Whatever it is that my flesh wants, it's dung to me that I might come to know Jesus Christ more and more and more, even having a fellowship with his suffering. Given that situation, um, it's comforting to know that God actually has given us a mechanism that we might actually accomplish the suffering of the denying of our flesh and have a life that can have some pleasantness pleasantness to it. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him, capital H, him who strengthens or empowers me. So uh, one of the things that I can do that I know I can be successful at is that I can deny my flesh. Now, I might not always do it, but I know that I can. And I know that I I can manage my way through the suffering associated with denying my flesh because Paul, God, through Paul has told us that we can do all things through God who empowers, who strengthens us to be about his business. And in Ephesians 6, it's, it's a different challenge. It's not so much, although I think they're, they're intimately tied together, it's not exactly the same challenge, but it's exactly the same principle. In Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 11, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So we have this battle on one side, with our flesh, and we have this battle on the other side with the spiritual forces of wickedness that are in this heavenly realm that, you know, that we occupy. And he says that the way that we do that is to be strong in the Lord's might, not in our own strength. And then if if it was the sermon today, I would I would detail that for you, but the way that works is the strength of his might works, again, through through obedience. The example that I would use is the breastplate of righteousness, right? One of the implements of the, the armor of God is the breastplate of righteousness. And it says that um, we should put on the breastplate of righteousness. And, and I've, I've been taught by people, I, I, I don't agree with it, um, that you just declare the breastplate of righteousness over yourself and then you're covered, you know, your, your heart is covered. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that when we will choose to be righteous, then righteousness itself protects us as a breastplate, that, that that is how we do all things, as an example, in him who strengthens us. He strengthens us through his spirit to be able to walk in righteousness, and then righteousness des- denies those wicked spiritual forces from any access to us because the, the way they gain access to us is when we agree with them instead of agreeing with God. So if we choose to walk in righteousness, then, then righteousness itself guards us like a breastplate. If, if we choose to trust by faith what God's word says, then faith becomes like a shield to us that extinguishes the flaming arrows or the fiery darts of the evil one. And, and those are thoughts that are trying to be planted in our mind. Remember I said that that demon is here? that He's here. The one that we were warned about, he's here. And he's trying to operate. The way that you stop him is when those thoughts come into your mind, you say, what would faith say? No, faith would not have me to think this way about a brother or sister. And then faith extinguishes that lying thought that he's trying to plant into our minds the root 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 to how is it that we operate in the strength of his might jesus in uh john chapter 14 he's literally on his way to jerusalem he's very near to his uh sacrificial death and he says this to his his disciples that are walking with him i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you so they're getting concerned. He's like, hey, listen, you know, they're going to do this to me, and they're going to do this to me, and then I'm going to die, and, and, and then I'm going to be risen on the third day. But once he says he's going to die, I think they stop listening because when he was actually resurrected, they didn't believe it, right? So they're like, well, no, you're Jesus, and we're just us, and, and we like this, you know, this, this – um, mission that we're on but it wouldn't be possible without you and even Peter himself said you know lord this can't happen like this and Jesus said to him get behind me satan your mind is set on the thoughts of man and not of god because Peter was literally rebuking god's plan for why Jesus came here now i think that that satan or that Jesus was speaking to satan himself the one who was planting the flaming arrow into peter's thoughts he wasn't calling peter satan but peter's shield of faith he knew the scriptures right he knew messiah and he'd been taught but his shield of faith went down and he believed the lies the enemy was saying about how jesus shouldn't die because the only way for all this to come about is jesus had to die so his shield of faith he put it down faith should have said no way to that thought it should have never found its way from his thoughts to his lips and he wouldn't have gotten the rebuke that he did from jesus so jesus says i will not leave you as orphans he says that to us but he was literally getting ready to leave them he was going to die he comes back twice he says i'm going to come back to you the first of his coming back was actually his resurrection right they got to see him again for i think it was 40 days he was in and out with his disciples over 40 days he taught them things and then ultimately resurrected to the right hand of the Father. The second of his coming to them and not leaving them as orphans is in the person of his Spirit. So each and every Christian is born again. When you're born again, you're born of the Holy Spirit, and then we become not only the temple of God, but we become Jesus' very body on this earth. So God chose to accomplish the, the salvation of the world through his Son. And when Jesus was ascended to the right hand of the Father, he said, don't go and do anything until you get the, the gift of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because God's plan never changed. His plan is still that he's going to save this world through his son. His son is Jesus. His son now has an attached body by way of the Holy Spirit, which is all of us. He's still accomplishing his work through his son. That's us with our head in heaven giving us direction through the Holy Spirit. So two ways that they got to see Jesus again. He, he came back in his resurrection, but then he ultimately came to stay until they were resurrected, you know, up to heaven in the person of his spirit. Further back in John, in chapter 16, Jesus says again, but now I am going to him, the Father who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper, I, I can't remember in this, in this particular verse if it's paraclete or paracletos, but it's, it's, it's a Greek word that describes somebody who comes alongside. So now... He's saying that the helper, which is his spirit, is going to come, and, and he is going to be like our Jesus, you know, their Jesus, as he was walking with them. And he said even the – he's going to tell you, he's going to remind you all the things that I said. He is going to come alongside. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to carry you. And that is the beginning of the understanding of the process of as we're suffering with Jesus for his sake – In our flesh, all the other ways it it applies as well, even if we're suffering persecution or even death. I mean, there are brothers and sisters in parts of the world today that are literally, you know, suffering about, I can't watch an R rated movie is so inconsequential to them because they're about to die if they don't deny Jesus verbally to their um, Muslim or whomever people that have, you know, that have uh, threatened them. And they don't. Testimony after testimony after testimony, just like you know when um, I forget who the Caesar was in Rome, but he would literally they made everything that went wrong in Rome the, the Christians' fault. It was like it's the Christians' fault, it's the Christians' fault, and and they would take Christians who wouldn't renounce Jesus, and they would take and put them on a post, and they would they would strap them to the post, and they would cover them with pitch or tar, and then they would light them on fire alive as. Candles to light the emperor's garden so that he could see the garden at nighttime. And they would not deny Jesus, even unto that kind of terrible persecution. Why? Because the helper was right there with him. Remember Stephen? the uh, Stephen who um, the apostle Paul was there holding everybody's coats as they were stoning this Christian Stephen to death, right? And Stephen looked to heaven and he saw. He saw the resurrected Christ in heaven. He had so much grace on him because the helper was with him that he was actually pleading for the people that were stoning him to death, just like Jesus. Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Stephen said exactly the same thing. He he, he had so much grace and so much presence from the helper, the Holy Spirit, that his own life wasn't even what was on his mind. His primary concern was, oh, my gosh, they don't understand what they're doing. That's the same comforter that's going to is with us as we suffer the 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 um, denying of our flesh. In uh, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through thirty, Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy." The expanded other translation could be comfortable or pleasant. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we go through this life, confronting those things that we've confessed that we would repent from, every every time our flesh rises up and it wants us to respond to it and live for it instead of living for Christ, Jesus is saying, listen, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Now, the, the primary context of that verse is those of you who are who are currently yoked. Do you know what a yoke is, right? If you got... If you're a farmer and, and you need to plow your field before you can plant, you've got to plow your field before you can plant. And John Deere hadn't come about just yet, so they would take oxen and they would put a yoke, a thing on the oxen, and then the oxen would pull the plow that would break up the ground so that the seed could take hold and, and grow nice. Typically, the way they would do it, and literally the, the people that made the yokes, the wooden yokes that fastened to the oxen, would make them like if you went to a tailor to fit you for a suit of clothes – and they were made for two specific oxen. And one oxen would be a big, strong, experienced ox, and the other one would be the trainee ox. And the way that it worked is that the, the trainee ox would, would be yoked to the strong ox. And the strong ox would really do most of the work, but this ox was learning, and that's what Jesus is trying to say to us. So it specifically in this context, it was, you yoke. You people are yoked to the burden of the law. Yoke yourself to me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Place your faith in me. And we saw Paul talking about the righteousness that comes not from the keeping of the law, but from faith. That's what he's talking about. But the broader context is that we are yoked to this big, strong ox. And as we're going through the trials and the temptations and the issues in the flesh, we yoke ourselves To him. And he pulls us through because he's already plowed that ground. He's been there before. We'll see that in the Hebrew scriptures. Our yoke is an easy yoke because we're not the one doing the work. He's doing the work. So when we get confronted by these things, you think, I don't know how I could say no to this. Or we're being asked to do something that seems like it would be so sacrificial. I don't know how I could say yes to this. It's like, You don't have to worry about it because you're yoked to the ox. It's going to pull you through this thing, and you don't even have to worry about who does the work because it's his spirit that accomplishes the work through us. Amen? Okay. Just because I'm me, I couldn't do this without a couple of strong scriptures being in here. (laughs) James chapter 4, and there's a reason these are in here. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who do you think it is that's that's trying to feed through your flesh? It's the enemy. It's the devil or one of his minions. Resist the devil, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he, God, will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. It's important to understand to, to receive the comfort of the Lord is to come near to God. And if we can't find his comfort, then it could be an issue of dirty hands or an impure heart. And, and we have to ask him, Lord, is there, is there dirt on my hands? Is there any sin in, in my life that, that I'm not attending to? Is, is there any iniquity in my heart that I'm not attending to? And, and we have the responsibility of dealing with dirty hands and an impure heart, but the way we do it is just with our lips of confession. That's it. It's not hard work, but it may be a little difficult to confront those things sometimes. In 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, he says a similar thing. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The way that we draw near is to humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves, then we are humble ourselves to God. Like We've been proud to God if we're coming into agreement with the enemy. But if we will humble ourselves and say no to our flesh then we create this environment of nearness to God and then that comfort of God comes over us and Peter and uh, James are both trying to say the same things. Humble yourselves and then cast your anxieties on him. Trust him. Cast them, and trust him. Okay, now the Hebrews part. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance encumbrance every in, in, <laughs> encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us can i just say again that sounds a lot like conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ so he says Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus endured the cross by the joy that was set before him. He didn't focus on ah oh, they're getting ready to put a spike in my hand or my wrist. Ah, I don't, you know, oh, they're strapping me to the thing. The, the 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 cat of nine tails is about to rip my skin off. He didn't allow his mind to dwell there. His mind was set on the thought, on the glory, and the joy that was set before him. Oh, with every stroke, that's another million people that are going to be reconciled to my father hit me again another one. Oh, there's more all my suffering I can see these people I see them they're in bondage to sin and all of this is going to set them free and they're going to come and my father will be so pleased and so joyful that the world has the opportunity to be reconciled back to him because of this flogging that I'm doing he didn't focus on the issue of the suffering he focused on what was on the other side of the issue of the suffering that's what we have to do we have to focus on what's on the other side of putting down the flesh. Because, see, uh, what did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he would increase, he being Jesus, right? Who are you? Aren't you this guy? He said, no, I told you I'm not good enough to tie the, the, the thong on his sandals. I must decrease that he might increase. When, when uh, we started this whole conversation about holiness, remember the scripture from Second uh, Corinthians that he said, listen, it's not me that's holding back the fullness of the kingdom being manifest through you, the rivers of living water flowing at a massive rate, it's your affections for ungodly things. It's your affections that are restraining you, right? He's saying the same thing here. So we don't look at those things and say, oh, that's what I want, that's what I want. No, we say that thing is a hindrance to the rivers of living water, and I look beyond the hindrance, and I see this guy getting saved because I shared the gospel. I see this guy getting saved because I healed him, and then he believed there's a God And I shared the gospel. We set our sights beyond the misery of of beaten down and nailing our flesh to the cross every day to what God is doing because we did it. And then Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus is our high priest. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Remember, every day Jesus is dealing with a temptation. Every day, this is that, every day, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was able to withstand Because he withstood, he understands the challenge. There is no temptation that you or I are struggling with that Jesus hasn't had to be tempted with and overcome. When you go to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in our time of need, he's not looking at us and saying, Oh, you know, I did it. You should be able to do it too. You're just a weak Christian. He's saying, No, I understand. Come to me. Take your anxieties and put it on me. Come to me. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. Let me carry this weight for you. In Philippians, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When we approach the throne of grace, that's what's happening. We're coming to him. I have this anxiety. I keep having this temptation. I have this temptation. and And he says, I have grace for that. And he says, I have grace for that. And he says, I have grace for that. And when we run to him, we say, I gave into it. Lord, I'm sorry. And he has mercy for that, and he has mercy for that because it's already been paid for by his suffering. That's why I don't want to get into too much of a dory trail, but that's why we aren't under the law anymore. If you're born again, you are not under the law. You cannot sin your way out of a reconciled relationship with God because you're not under the law anymore. So when you go to to the throne of grace, like, First John says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive for your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness because you're not under the law. There's some filthiness that gets on us, and he cleanses it off with the blood of Jesus. That's what's happening here. You're finding mercy when you come and confess your sin because you're not under the law anymore. You're part of the family. When you're thinking about it and you're struggling with it, you're finding grace to overcome it. How? In the same way Jesus did, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he himself inside of us, his spirit. Inside of us. Holy Spirit was Jesus' supernatural strength. He is our supernatural strength. For the joy set before us, we bear our cross. Our cross. And then finally, Acts 3.19. Remember, I keep telling you, I mean, we're we're not, we're finding it, but we haven't found it yet. We, We haven't really found a rhythm in this new way of, you know, coming and worshiping together where, you know, we sing the songs and then the music continues, but we, we kind of move into this thing where the Holy Spirit can minister to us and we're ministering to one another. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, this is Peter speaking. He says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. So, so he's not speaking to us specifically right there in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, James said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? He says, repent and return. The way we draw near to God is, is we cleanse our hands, purify our hearts. We, we make ourselves ready. How do we do that? Well, we repent, but if there's some that we did, we confess. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Now, we're holy in Jesus. We're righteous in that the yuck got washed off of us. And we can come into his presence, into his presence. See, God is omnipresent, right? I mean, we know that from the scriptures. Every corner, I mean, of the universe, God's there. There's nowhere you could go. You could get somehow, you can't, but you know, you could go on a light ship and go a million light years in some direction. He's there. He's there. You go in the other direction. There's got to be someplace he does. No, he's omnipresent. He's, I don't understand it, but it's true. He's every place. And then when he came in the person of Jesus, right, as a little teeny baby, and then he grew up and ultimately ascended, he was what's called manifest present. He was present in flesh, right? Now there's a holy presence that we can have, and, and it brings refreshing it, it, it helps us, like James said, that if we will submit to God, resist the devil, the devil got to go, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, don't you think? <laughs> Can you feel me, Margie? I better do it with Seth. Can you feel me, Seth? No. Why? Do this. Wash your hands. Purify your heart. Can you feel me? I think so. You can. (laughs) Huh? Until I went to the gym, feel again. No, No, it's just because I went to the buffet, but here's the point. He's a better dad than you'll ever be, Steve, and all I see are Facebook pictures of how much you love your children holding them in your arms, you know. uh, I'll get to Ohio at 2 in the morning instead of at 11 at night because I'm going to hold my children for three more hours. Your dadness sucks compared to God, and you're an awesome dad. The point is, when he draws near to us, we should be able to feel it. Patty, do you ever feel the Lord come near you? Patty Carter? Oh, my gosh. And and you cry all the time, but they're not because he's telling you what a rotten Christian you are, right? It's because he's loving you, and you can feel his arms. He's no respecter of persons. He loves everybody the same. He's our dad, and he wants to come near. And what I'm trying to say is that he will comfort us. So as you're saying no, and you're carrying that cross, and you're crucifying that flesh day in and day out, if you slip, you run to the throne of grace and find mercy. If you're feeling like you're going to slip, you run to the throne of grace and find grace. And if you're just like I've been the last couple days, it's like, Dad, I just need you to touch me. Teresa told the testimony the other day, four hours on the floor with the Lord, literally in visions and out of visions in this, this massive experience of his love. That's, I think, how we overcome the testing and the temptation of our flesh. We draw near. Thank you. I can see. He draws near. And we can actually feel him. And that's the thing that I've been trying, that Jeff has been trying to show us is that if we'll tarry, he'll come. And when he comes, we won't want to go home because he'll come and in his love will be every kind of, what does it say in, is it Psalms someplace, um, in your presence is fullness of joy? I mean, I know that's an eternal experience. Is it a temporal experience? I can't imagine not being in his presence and being filled with joy. Amen. Okay. We are called to suffer for His sake. One of the ways is persecution, but another way is to just deny those things that He hates. And as we deny those things, oh, I didn't read you Second Corinthians. How did you miss Second Corinthians? Sorry, I have one more scripture I want to read you. I don't know how I missed it. Did I forget to put it in there? No, it was in there. Did I say it? 2 Corinthians. If you ever want to see the word comfort used about 19 times in a couple of paragraphs? Listen to this. This is Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So there's two things that he says in there. He says, the God of comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. So there's a comfort that comes directly from God that we can receive. Once we've experienced it, look what gets happened next. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, Don't you know that God could do that all by himself? What an honor it is for him to give me that comfort. And when you're struggling, I can give you a big old giant hug. And you can sense not the comfort that I have to offer you, but the very comfort of God, that he will give us words to speak of encouragement and edification and building up over one another that will allow us to release the very comfort of God onto somebody else. That's a huge honor for us to be able to, we're his body, right? I mean, God is accomplishing his work through his son, and we are his son, so to speak. It seems kind of weird to say that, but it's true. Amen? Okay. <laughs> if I remember other scriptures I forgot, I promise I'm just going to leave them in the iPad. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, we have comfort. The first comfort we have is that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God for all of eternity that we earn by our sin. Even if we sin some more, we have this wonderful advocate in heaven, a helper. We have a wonderful helper inside of us, your very spirit, to bring us to this place of holiness from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. And if we stumble, you comfort us. If we're going to stumble and we're struggling, you comfort us, Lord. And that's what we desire today. We desire to know you so well that all we can do is offer up sincere praises from our very hearts, from our deepest place to your name. Grateful, grateful, grateful for what you did. Just in awe of who you are, your splendor. You could be anybody. You could be the most horrible person in the world, but your very nature is love and grace and mercy. And us who hated you, while we hated you, while we were rebellious against you, sinners, you came and you suffered the wrath of God and all the temptations of mankind that we might be able to be reconciled to the Father through your sacrifice, King Jesus. So help us, Lord, to praise you from a grateful and a sincere heart. And then, Lord, we desire your comfort. We desire your presence. We desire to just crawl right up in your lap and feel your big, safe arms around us as we walk through the rest of this walk, living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his very name. Amen.